Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Andrew Carpenter, welcome to The Sticker. Thank you for having me. Mate, you have one of the best titles, and man, I wish it was me. I wish it was me. <laughs> the pedophile's most hated man. Yeah. Australia's uh, man, no, sorry, the man most hated by Australian child sex offenders. I got that title from the Herald Sun early this year. Congratulations to that. It'd be better than being Australian of the Year, I'd imagine. Oh, mate, it's. I said to son a while ago, apart from dad, that's the best title anyone's ever called me. And once again, I congratulate that, and I, I envy you, I must admit. Oh, mate, it's, it, I think it's the good recognition of 12 years in this space of advocacy and finally getting recognition for trying to make the, the world a better place for children. For sure. Man, you're a man of my words. Mate, let's talk about this. Now, you're a prominent solicitor based in South Australia. You are a staunch advocate for turning, for changing the legislation Australia-wide to, uh, to, ac- for, to access the compensation of pedophiles. You're well known for that. It's all over social media. Yep. Let's talk about wanting to be a solicitor from the first place. Yeah. Let's start. Where did it all begin? I liked legal studies in year 12, and then I was sick quite a bit and managed to scrape through year 12 and got into accounting, which is what okay. I was looking at. And my second year of accounting, a few teachers at uni said, hey, the university is starting a law school next year. You should do it. You'd be primed for it. And yeah, lost my job in, as an accountant in the 2009 GFC and moved into law, went back to work at a bottle shop, which was the best. Mm. Anyone who works at a bottle shop knows how much fun it is. And yeah, went back to uni, did that and finished it in 2011 and never looked back. Now, from a young age, or you've got a background, you've been involved in martial arts, fighting and that sort of thing. How does that intertwine with being a solicitor? Because I'll tell you something now. When I look for a solicitor, I look for, in my background, 23 years in prison, I look for someone who is a fighter by nature. Yeah. Do you think that goes hand in hand? Yes and no. I, like, you look at some people that are absolute pit bulls, and there's time to be a pit bull in this profession. There's times not to be. Yeah. I tell all my clients to come to see me, look, I can jump up and down. I can be the biggest ball and strong arm people there is, but it's not going to be in your best interest. There's times to be... Uh, strong. There's times to be reasonable. And I tell everyone that ever comes to see me that there's two ways we can do this. One that makes me the most money and one that makes you the most money. I said, if you want me a pit bull, jump up and down and threaten people and take things through court, I can do that, but it's not in your best interest. But if you do it the smart way, there's times where I need to be a pit bull, but most of the time I'm saying, hey, you need to be reasonable about this. But yeah, you need to have a bit of a killer instinct and you need to be able to actually stand up. You can't let people talk all over you and that's the main thing in martial arts. If you're getting punched, you put your arms up and you come out swinging. You don't stand there and take it. And You defend yeah. and then attack. Exactly. And a counter, defend, counter. That's, that's a, but that's that whole thing. I, I, I can tell you, I've had lawyers in the past, I've known have been laying down on me and I've nudged them and said, mate, get up, your turn. Mm-hmm. Like the other team's firing away and he's not returning serve and it's like he's just getting, he just defend and never countered. And, and it's a horrible place to be. I, and as I said to you, I always look for that that quality. I see it in you. I, I love what you do. I really fucking love what you do. It's so good and refreshing to see someone out there with the knuckle dusters on, the mouth guard on, and going, let's go, let's go. Oh, it's 
one of the things where you never let anyone walk all over you. And the first thing you learn in martial arts is you've got to learn how to defend yourself and you've got to learn how to attack. And when you're a lawyer, someone's entrusting you to represent them. If it's a criminal matter, which I haven't done in years, your someone's life is in your hands. And in the, the survivor field or you know, the victim-driven field that I'm in, I'm trying to get justice from someone and for a person who's never able to work again for the rest of their life because of their injuries, why wouldn't I go in and be as staunch as possible and try to get the best result from them? I'm not going to lie down and say, oh, yeah, just take this best offer. A lot of the matters I do are no win, no fee. If a matter's been dragging on for five years and there's a lot of money on the clock, yeah, it's in my best interest to settle, but I tell them, no, this isn't, this isn't the best option for you. The best option is to push them further and try and get more. It's not about you know, getting a quick win. It's try about trying to get the best case possible for your client. And I, I think a lot of lawyers at the moment, they just sell legal advice. They don't provide a service. Mm. But if you went to see one uh, person for a criminal charge, they can you know, promise you the world and charge ridiculous amounts. But unless they're actually helping you and getting the best result possible, what are you actually paying for? As I work in this field, uh, in my business which was the voice of the survivors now, the warriors, I might add. But a lot of lawyers, they've only got a vested interest for themselves. And this is what we try to weed out. We had a case with a certain law firm that's publicly listed where they the client was offered or given 410000 and they tried to charge him 190000 on a first-day mediation. For what? $30,000 worth of work at best. And I had to come in... We got 90 grand taken off on that. How do you feel when you hear of cases like that? Oh, it's it's sickening to think that there's, in this day and age there's still lawyers doing that. You hear about back in the days where lawyers were revered and a lot of them were just charged through the roof and not really achieve much at all. And you mm -hmm. think it's different now. There's a lot of regulatory bodies that look at lawyers and at the end of the day, if you're charging 190 grand for something, yeah, that should be a matter that's gone on for 10 years that's almost at the stage of trial, not for something as the first mediation. That's first day mediation after 15 months. We managed to get 90 grand straight off that without only just by threatening to go to the media, and that's a publicly listed law firm that were having a bit of troubles in the UK, so that might unearth them <laughs> who they are. But, mate, let's talk. A big passion of yours is making the superannuation of pedophiles accessible for people to, to be able to sue them for. Let, talk us through that because a lot of people don't know this, what, how they the loophole in it for the pedophiles. Yeah, so the best example of it, early 2000s, there was a magistrate in South Australia called Peter Liddy. Mm. He was a magistrate for 25 years. Throughout the whole time, he was actually abusing children at a surf lifesaver club. And you think, single guy, a very well-paying government job, had a mansion in the hills. It was weird. He collected like pirate treasure and coat of armors and vintage guns. So mm. he definitely had a lot of money to him. Mm. But when he got convicted, he had nothing. Mm. And you think, well, how, how can someone capitulate all their assets? And then after that, I saw it as we went on where a lot of offenders, what they do is they'll sell their house and they'll try and put a chunk of into a legal lawyer's trust account, which they're able to defend. Mm. But when it's time, if they're found guilty, when it's time to sue, they go, hang on, I've got nothing. And you think, hang on, you, you've worked for 30 years, you own multiple investment properties, and you realise that they've put money into their super. Now, under bankruptcy law, superannuation is a protected asset. You can't touch it. Mm. So if someone's put in a million dollars in super five years ago and you try and sue them now, they could be like, oh, I'll just sell everything, you can't touch me, and I'll go bankrupt and there's nothing there for you. 
where I've said, well, hang on, that's not fair because it's the taxpayer that's effectively indemnifying these offenders by mm. if people need to go through victims of crime or Centrelink. What's the maximum people can – that varies in different states, doesn't it? I'm victims not sure what it's crime. like here. In South Australia, it's a tiered level. So before 71, you can get a maximum of $1,000. Before 73, it's two. It's 100000 at the moment. But that's the worst of the worst. Yeah. And if you think if someone was abused for 20 years and they're in their 50s, they've never worked, never can work – $100,000 is not going to compensate them whatsoever, especially if their offenders are worth millions in super. I wouldn't cover my... The 100000 wouldn't cover what I've spent on counselling, trauma counselling. I wouldn't... I've spent more than that in six years on trauma counselling. And, yeah, it's they're leaving it to the government where a lot of these offenders will have millions of dollars in super and you can't touch it. And you think, well, hang on, one, the crimes are getting... More regular, there was a study in New South Wales last year that said in the last 10 years, crimes against children have gone up on, on minimum 4.5% per year. But you think nothing's deterring them. The suspended sentences and the home detention people are getting, that's not a deterrent. Mm. You think with people with the driving offences, if you're a good driver, you don't care if you get a demerit point, you care if you have to pay a $600 fine. That's the reason why I don't speed every morning is I don't want to fork out money. And you think if you're an offender and you have the money to deep pocket people, why should you get to retire on your cushy superannuation while your survivors who you've taken away their life get nothing? It's a it's an imbalance and it's just it's frankly not justice. People often say to me, What's how's money gonna make a difference? What would you say to that? The a lot of the people can't even afford at the moment to see a psychologist or psychiatrist. Some are going without their loaves of bread to to pay for their medication, which they need to actually function. Mm. Now, if you've had your innocence taken away from you and you can never work, never do anything, why shouldn't you get the justice you deserve? But more than that, if you think the amount of money that you've spent and you've come out on the, the positive side of it, imagine what would happen if someone got a lump sum and was able to have inpatient treatment for a month where they can have extensive therapy and then see a specialised mm. therapist to actually get back into being a, a a member of society that can actually function. It's a lot of the people, it's about the recognition for them. And you think if the criminal process isn't successful because of some tainted evidence or... Look at the George Pell case. He spent what, he would have spent a million dollars on his high court, maybe more. And he beats it on a technicality. Well, look at OJ Simpson. Everyone knew that he did it. And it was because they called back a police officer that gave an inconsistent statement before that they couldn't prove beyond reasonable doubt. Mm. Yet when he got sued, the court said that we find that it's, it, he's liable for their death. If George Pell had legal aid, there's a fair chance he would have died in jail. I, and I say that, I can say, but what my answer to my own question is this. I was robbed of a lot of memories. I spent 23 years in jail. I was awarded fucking I was awarded a compensation claim and I and I say this and I don't mind saying it it, it played a big part in me changing my life today yeah. I've got the life I've got today because I got out I was afforded rehab yeah. I was afforded counseling I was afforded the opportunity to just to get myself set up in a little flat little cars from transport and kick off the business I had. It made a massive difference. So those people who say, what's money going to change? Money will change a lot of things. And mm. money, and I had a guy, I had a client, he had, he'd been in jail for 22 years. He got his compensation claim just as he would get released and a compassionate parole because he had liver cancer, he was going to die. And he thanked me about a week before. He said, mate, I got the crate. He goes, I had some really bad memories in my life as, as a result of that abuse. And I got to create some memories with my kids and he said, I'm so grateful for you for being able to do that. And I think these people have lived 
horror movie and why shouldn't they have a happy ending when they're in their formative years and later years and, and being able to get on? Why shouldn't they? They'll rob the something. Exactly. The people that have said to me about the super change is why doesn't this apply to all crimes? And you think, hang on, there's other legal justifications for other crimes. If you think drink driving, you had to rush your mum to the hospital. If you think assault, oh, my friend was getting punched, I went up and hit the guy. There's no legal justification whatsoever for a sexual abuse matter against a child because children can't consent. Mm. They can't. The fact that superannuation is... We're trying to make the superannuation claimable by survivors just to get the justice they deserve. And if you think of the stats, the, the most recent stats from April this year were one in three girls and one in five boys under 18 will have some form of sexual abuse against or against them in their lifetime. You think what would happen if the stats were one in three girls and one in five boys were murdered? You think the government would be jumping up and down saying, we need to do whatever we can to change this. We've shown to the to um, the society that the the sentences these offenders are getting, it's abhorrent. It's not even close. So the only way around it would be how how can we greater deter someone than going after everything they've worked for? You look at ASIC, for instance. ASIC stopped prosecuting people because they thought, you know what, we're not we spend million dollars prosecuting this person. He might get a suspended sentence. Why don't we start issuing fines for these things? And guess what? All of a sudden, the, the poor fun. conduct of directors and office holders have gone down massively because it shows that there is a financial deterrent to engage in these crimes. Let's you just touched on stuff and soft sentences on sex offenders. Let's talk let's talk about some of I know plenty of them. I know. Oh, there was one most recent in the media, Joffa, the Collingwood Football Club cheer squad leader. He catfished a 16-year-old then rocked up at his house and realized, "Oh, this isn't a 60, 60 sorry, 16-year-old boy. He was I think mid-30s at the time." raped a child, then 20 years later, a guy came out, Joffa pled guilty. He got a 12-month suspended sentence hmm. for raping a child. This is nationally. We don't have a problem just in Victoria. We have problems nationally. Que oh, Queensland is a sunny place for fucking shady pedophiles. Let me tell you, that place is pedophiles' paradise. People are great people, but the justice system up there hmm. protects them. Like They've got a jail up there called Walston. 800 pedophiles associated with each other on a daily basis go about their business talking to you. I'm a bank robber. I would, I'd sit there and we'd swap war stories with other bank robbers. They do the same. Exactly. They do the, I say Walston Prison in Queensland, in Brisbane, Wakehall, Queensland, is the most dangerous prison in Australia because they're not, they're not segregated, not separated. And like they do in other states, they do separate them in, into smaller groups. But that jail up there is so fucking dangerous. And this is that whole narrative of the court system fucking allow, allowing them to fucking have soft. And then you know, they, the courts don't take into account the damage they do. Exactly. And I've said it before, you don't see people getting arrested with 10 images. Mm. They're arrested with hundreds of thousands. There was a guy in Adelaide, his name was Jad Brooker. He had 4.5 million images on a computer. So he was, I'd be fair to say, because of those images, it'd be fair to say he's part of a pedophile ring. Yeah. You look at the prison, for instance, like they're not putting in general pop. If they were putting in general pop, people wouldn't want to go back. But mm. in South Australia, there's Mount Gambier and Port Lincoln. So Port Lincoln is a bit of a fishing town, yeah. about eight hours Shinatown. drive away. And Mount Gambier is like the meth capital of Australia. It's where a lot of the drugs come from Melbourne yeah. to Adelaide. And the offenders in those jails there, they're the same. They're out and about. They're trading war stories. They're having their tea and cookies and mm. and. You think, that that doesn't deter someone. Go into jail for three months and then they hear all these stories. Of course they want to go out again and try and re-offend. Or 
it's a dangerous place because they're not being rehabilitated because it's not a crime where you think, oh, I'm, I need to rob a bank to, or like you, to, to get yeah. to feed your desires. It's, yeah. oh, I'm just going to groom this family and go off and do this. And yeah, it's very manipulative. It's very cunning it as is. well. How do you, how do we? There's the question. Two questions, right? Can we rehabilitate pedophiles and how do we do it? Who knows how you can rehabilitate the worst of the worst? I think pedophiles are in a different category. Like they're below murderers. They're below you know, all the other heinous crimes. But the fact that they're actually manipulating people, it's not like a crime of opportunity where, oh, I just stole a car yeah. to do this. It's A lot of the time it takes months and months for them to actually offend because it's a constant state of grooming. And think that at the moment the courts are doing enough. I think what's happening is because a lot of people coming forward, the time difference in it takes to report, on average, it's 33 years of someone to report. Almost 37 years. And you think at the moment, it's where today it's the 4th of September 2003. So what we do on the 4th of September 1990? We're never close. Don't know. Don't know what you were wearing. Don't know what clothes you were. Yeah, it could have been, oh, you had... We could potentially charge this guy with 1,500 charges, but you can only remember specifically three things that happened. And if they play guilty to or try and negotiate a lesser charge to inappropriate touching or anything like that, mm. then sometimes police say, hey, that's the only thing we could try and pin this guy on. But that's beyond reasonable doubt. If you start having a lot of survivors coming out and just suing these offenders across the board, you watch the rate of it going down. I, I tell people at the, at the moment, if they can't get a criminal conviction or if the police aren't listening to them, sue them right away. Yeah. Because that way the offenders can't have their right to silence. They have to defend this. Yeah. And then they think and there's stuff that gets brought out, isn't there? Oh, and if you think there's, you get disclosure of someone's bank statements, and then every month they're sending a two thousand dollars to a random guy in Southeast Asia. You think I know what you're doing? Yeah. And a lot of these offenders are cashed up guys. You don't see too many run of the mill guys on Centrelink doing this. Most yeah. of the time, it's uh, I think the I think the stats are the most likely age is someone mid fifties. Yeah. And mid fifty, no kids, a lot of income to dispose. Mm. That's the prime thing, and tell uh, my haters on TikTok. That's what they, I look. And I look at their fo- the ones that are all hating on me on TikTok and Instagram. I look at their profiles, and I think, oh, you've got stereotypical all written all over you, champion. Oh, that's just funny. With as soon as I got that title from the Herald Sun about most hated man by child offenders, anyone that hates me, I'm like, why? Is there a reason why you hate me? Yeah, People sure. back down pretty quickly if you're trying to insinuate that. But it's, I think they need to at least start with the images, have a tiered approach. Like it, if you why have, isn't but hit my thing is why isn't it accessory after the fact? It should be. You raised that point a while ago, and I've said that so many times. Like if you look at all the DVD uh, movies from the early two thousand, you know, you wouldn't steal a car, but why would you steal a DVD? And mm. copying an image is uh, copying a DVD is a criminal offence. Yeah, yeah, it should be. If a lot of the people that actually take these images. Yeah, they distribute it to a thousand. But imagine that you've just been someone's just been charged with a thousand accessory after the facts and exhibit A is in your fucking Exactly. It should be strict liability. If you're in possession of this material, you're cooked. It shouldn't be oh, let's try and negotiate this. I think from day one it should be that if you have a thousand images, that should be twelve months minimum. Mm. And you look at and that way the people that are getting arrested with millions of images, there's no excuse for that. Absolutely no. none. And they're getting it because they're actually trading war stories. A lot of the images that offenders get created by themselves mm. and they send it to others. They just have this sick trade. I don't know any normal person that would know how to get on the dark web. Mm. Like I, I oh, wouldn't even yeah. know how. I don't even know if you can get a normal computer for that or what you yeah. would do. But if people are trading images like that, you think, man, you obviously go to the depths of trying to get that. It's not like a... 
something that would be easily accessible. If you're going on down that rabbit hole to find these images, you are looking for it. You are purposely going out of your way. And in South Australia, a lot of people are actually trying to blame it on medical conditions. They're trying to say, oh, my my autism makes me not understand what I'm doing. But a lot of them, it's, hey, you're not using fake names, using your own name. Mm. You're creating these profiles. You're trading money for this. And I think the courts aren't looking strongly enough at the survivors are actually looking at the background of offenders. You hear guys that offend against children. Oh, I got divorced and I was stressed at work. I'm like, so what? So what? Go to a gym. Go on a dating website. Don't go and talk to a minor. And it's. I say this my sexual preference is a certain look, heterosexual woman. I'm, I'm a heterosexual guy. Got a certain look, and maybe four or five different types. But as long the first preference is adult female, right? Yeah. A gay guy's sexual preference is another male, a lesbian is another female. How, what sort of cause in prison can change a person's sexual preference? There's none. They've got this, I seen a book when I was up in Rockhampton, Queensland. I seen a book and I was in a residential unit and it, and it was the text to the sex offenders course and the, the title was Me and My Deviant, Me and My Deviant Ways. And that was the name of the text that they fucking saw. It had eight pages in it. It was fuck all in it. And these blokes mm. were sitting in a, a course for 12 months, so I'm told, studying that. It doesn't make sense. Like, there's got to be something like castration or something. There's, there's got to be – what options would there like, be? Louis Theroux did a really good documentary on it a few years ago where he went to a – I think it was Los Angeles – went to a, a sex offender rehabilitation centre. Yeah. And there was like a 1,000 people in there. Only one had ever graduated and left because – they said these guys can't control their urges. Like you see on TV all the time, the amount of people that will get re- released from prison for one of these things, mm. and they're back for accessing it within weeks or some even days. There was mm. one guy that he got released within a week. He reoffended by contacting a child, and you think there is no cure for this. So you look at people taking drugs. You can put them in rehab. You can give them medication to stop the cravings and whatnot. Mm. And then once they're off, once they address their trauma, they can actually cope. But this isn't a trauma thing. This is someone's preference and mm. the only thing that they get gratification out of. It'd be like if someone said to me, no Nutella again, I'd be like, oh, mm. don't want to give up Nutella. I don't want to give up Nutella. <laughs> but you know, it's, there's no controlling. And if you are abusing a child or someone who can't consent for your own sexual gratification, that's just unforgivable. And the amount of people that I've seen that and I've sued – and the reason why they do it or they're trying to say, she came on to me. I'm like, this girl was seven years old. Yeah, of course she didn't. And it's most of the offenders that do it, they have a significant amount of narcissism where they keep trying to control. So they'll offend. They'll say, if you tell anyone about this, we'll go to jail. Or if you tell anyone, I'll abuse your brother. And then people grow up and they still are scared of them all the way through. But they don't realize that when you're an adult, you're not that little child anymore. You can stand up to this offender and... They're not scary when you're older. And that's that thing. That's that thing. For, like me, I'll tell you, I praise Julia Gillard. And I've been attacked for it. I say Julia Gillard was the best prime minister this country's ever seen. And people go, oh, fuck. Every good prime minister leaves a legacy. Whatever she's done, her legacy was the Royal Commission exactly. Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse. And that's a great legacy to leave. And she played a significant part in my healing. So I'm forever grateful to her for that. But this is this whole thing about that time. It takes time and a process when someone as a survivor 
you feel comfortable to talk to it. I say this, and I say the more people like yourself that talk about this, the more people, the message gets through to kids eventually to sort of say, hey, man, say, I'm trying to nullify. I'm trying to say all that bullshit you tell kids ain't true. And and, and I say a, a perpetrator's greatest, uh, a perpetrator's greatest weapon is his victim silence and shame. Exactly. I invented that, not Jacob Little, so he tries to take credit for that, Jacob. <clears throat> anyway. And that's that whole thing is we take away their power by getting kids in particular. And that's why I want to be involved in this sort of – that's why I like the Daniel Morgan Foundation. They go around the schools and educate kids about talking about this stuff. Don't ever be scared of these fucking people. You can trust your mum and dad, you know what I mean? No matter what these fucking evil fucking deviants say to you, you can trust – there's people you can trust you can talk about. For me, for a long time, firstly, I was told – one, I don't believe you, or the lion, because it was in an institution, and they were, hmm. their their first and main uh, fucking intention was to protect the institution. Blokes like yourself, the blokes like the guys from FACA, hmm. Adam Washburn, or everyone that's coming out and getting people to talk about this, we're empowering and we're disempowering. We're taking the hand grenades out of them fucking rats' hands, and that's why you and I have come together, and we're going to do a lot of work ahead, mate. The pedophiles, you think I'm on his team, and there's going to be a few more of us to hate. A lot more, hopefully. What? Just, just if I can just double back the institutional abuse thing. When that was released, they had, they wanted to set up the redress scheme for institutional abuse. Now, institutional abuse makes up for four percent, four percent of children who was abused. If they're setting up a multi-billion-dollar fund for the four percent of children institutional abuse, what about the other ninety-six percent who suffered? 100%. And this is what it's got to be. There's got to be something. Like, I have a lot of people ring me up and say, I was abused by my stepfather. And you say, what assets has he got? Because we want to go after him. And it's really sad when you can't help them people. I feel yeah. re- I really, it really touches my heart because then people have been traumatized by that. And that, this is this whole thing here in Australia, though. What, in particular, Queensland, I'm going to fire at them. They brought in the Royal Commission, but the Queensland government will put their little twitches on it. You can only do it this way. You can yeah. only use certain lawyers. In the prisons, oh, the one thing I don't like, like I call it the redress scam, I would never recommend, unless it's your last option, a redress scam. But if you've spent more than five years in prison, you've got to apply to the Attorney General, who's part of the government, who's normally part of the abuse, to get to apply for them to allow you to go after the redress scam. It's I tell everyone across the board, I say first- isn't that, But isn't that a conflict of interest? It would be because what, what they're probably trying to say is, oh, if you've offended, you might be in jail for a reason. But it's like, hang on, if they've already had a victim's of crime payout, this is- You look at bankruptcy, for instance. If someone's bankrupt, you cannot touch their personal injury claim. So the fact that you have to ask for permission for attorney general is completely inconsistent mm. with federal law, which states that you cannot touch someone's- but I advise everyone, I said, do not go anywhere near the Royal Commission or the redress scheme unless the institution's bankrupt or that doesn't exist anymore or mm. everyone's dead or I just say that is the absolute last case scenario. Yeah. And lawyers who charge people to go on the redress scheme shouldn't. It's there set up for a reason for people to actually self-represent and it's literally just an application form. Mm. I'm representing a lot of students in a school in South Australia where what happened was the principal found some files on students who were abused and then got private investigators to contact them out of the blue. And then these investigators contact them and say, oh, let's, we'll take a statement. We'll believe you. We'll help you out. You can make a claim for the redress scheme. And I said, no, the school has insurance. The school has assets. Sue the school. A lot of institutions are saying, oh, just go under the redress scheme. 
a lot of state governments, oh, go through the redress scheme because it's capped at $150,000. And it's subjective. It, exactly. The, the government's a judge, jury, executioner. And there's no appeal process. So if you get $50,000, that's what you're getting. Yeah. And if you sue civilly, you'll absolutely smash that. Mm. And I tell people, look, the individuals who have a vested interest in matters going through the redress scheme are the institutions and the governments you have to pay out. And yeah. they would much rather pay out 50 grand instead of whatever a claim is truly worth and running through the court. And the redress scheme was set up at the start to actually say, hey, let's, you know, we'll bypass the legal system and, you know, it will be a lot quicker than going through civil court. The redress scam has been yeah. so underfunded that it's actually a lot quicker now suing someone than it would be going through the redress scheme. And that's what I'm finding. People are telling me they've been part of the redress scam for two years and, and no one's... And once again, that whole system with the redress scam is that they mustn't be trauma-informed because no one's ringing these no. people and telling and keeping them up to date, this is where you are. And that's when they, when, as you know, how you operate is you updating your clients, hey, this is where we're at, this is the next stage, this is the next stage. And when someone's been through that trauma, they've been let down by the system in general. And they, because I have them all the time, ring me and go, mate, I haven't heard from this. So I'll ring a lawyer and say, bring this guy, man, because this ain't part yeah. of the deal. This is, we signed up to work a certain way and I need you to do that. What is the importance of tra being trauma informed when dealing with these people? Oh, it's so important. That's I think that's one of the main reasons why people don't go to the police in the first instance. Mm. You've got to have at least an understanding and level of empathy. And I think the first point of call, if anyone ever wants to go through the police, there should be a specialised team that actually have social workers or counsellors that actually sit part and do the initial interview. I've had people from all works of life come through. I had one person that was abused with whenever the door was shut. And I, whenever they come to the office, I said, look, let's leave the door open or let's walk through the park. Yeah, I can make oh. notes on my phone when we walk. Let's just do that. It's... Hey, there's no, I don't think there's any level of training you can do in legal field or criminal field that you can actually, or sorry, legal but field or police But there's things you field. don't ask and there's buttons you don't push. You know that. You know yeah. where you're at. You can, you'd be a good judge of character. You could know when someone's been triggered just by yeah. the way they're going to move, they get fidgety or whatever. You'd be very good at that. And a lot of big law firms, they actually get some of the junior lawyers to sit in office for eight hours straight with this person and say, tell me every time you're abused and what happened. And mm. I tell people off the bat, look, you know, I can sit with the room with you all day, but it's going to trauma you. How about you just, there's no limitations periods anymore. Mm. Here's an Excel spreadsheet that I drafted for you. Put in whatever you can on what date something happened or when you thought if it was summer and you were in your summer school uniform, mm. right about that. Yeah. And just say, you go off on your own you know, accord. Best way to do, do it. Do that. Yeah. And I that way people... Instead of one session, I've had people that take three or four times sending me something on the fifth or sixth time. They go, oh, I remembered something else. And I said, look, at your own time, at your own pace, mm. all lawyers can do is advise. Yeah. And I tell people, your job is to give me as much information as possible, but you have to do it at your own time. I'm not pushing you. I don't care if your matter settles in six months' time or six years' time. This is about helping you out, helping get the justice. And look at, for instance, a lot of the people that go through the criminal side instead of suing first. Mm. The criminal side actually re-traumatizes them oh. a lot more than the civil side. And that's why I tell people, if, if it's your word against theirs, just sue them. Yeah. And yeah, it should be at your own pace. I've had some people that say, I want this done as quickly as possible. And I said, cool, let's do that. Some people that say they want to take it step by step. I'll support anyway. I've seen that many things. I've heard that many things. And nothing surprises me anymore when I'm dealing with survivor victims, they can tell me something, what happened, and I'm not going to be like, oh, or I've seen it all and I know how to talk to people. And if people need to 
have five meetings with me instead of one, that is fine because it's hard for people to go ahead. But it, there needs to be a lot of training in this field. It's not, you see a lot of people just treat their clients like a number. It's not about that. Someone that's, this isn't a, a commercial terms and conditions drafted up. This is someone's life story. This isn't about protecting a brand or a product. This is helping someone get the justice they deserve. There's big rewards in, there's, it's so rewarding this work. When you see them go through the process and, or, or even in the process, you see this person healing. You know they're getting better from it, the way they're talking. And I get a lot of it. I get a lot of feedback from being part of people. Like we've got 17,000 clients that we've worked with in the last six years. Do you find, how do you find that? Do you, is that what you, your experience is? That just seeing the handcuffs come off. Mm. It's, when they first speak about this, it's just amazing just watching them. You can almost see just the ton of weight off their shoulders being lifted, just talking about it, speaking to someone for the first time about it. And everyone always uses the same thing is, I'm still scared of this person. I, I mentioned this on Gary's podcast. I said that when I was in primary school, there was a cricket field near my school that we used to go there and play. And I remember someone would bowl a ball and I thought no one could hit a four. Like it's feels like a hundred meters away. Like you can't even come close to it. And then my three-year-old started doing soccer classes at the same oval and I had a soccer ball in my hand. I look at the cricket pitch and I said, I could underarm this ball on the full from the cricket pitch to the boundary. And I use that example to people by saying, look, you know, 20 years have passed. You're not this four-year-old anymore. You're a grown-up. Yeah, And they still analogy. they still see themselves as that young, vulnerable child mm, instead of a, a big, strong adult. And I say, look, this person can't hurt you anymore. You're not a child. You know how to defend yourself. You know how to talk. You know how to use a voice. And the, the fact that they come out and they start talking about this, and for people to come out and disclose this is the bravest thing they can do to get this get this load off their shoulders and helping them get the justice they deserve and actually show to them, one, this isn't your fault, and two, this person was a monster and they could not harm you now. The fact that you're still scared of them is another level of control they're having over you because when they when you were young, oh, you can't tell anyone about this, I'll hurt you, you'll go to jail, I'll go to jail, I'll hurt your brother or sister. People realise that that's, those handcuffs are off. When they grow up and they come forward and they say their story and they start the ball rolling, whether it be a criminal action or a civil action, you just see slowly the weight be piled off on their shoulders and when the action's over, they're like, I've got justice. So I've got the recognition. Mm. And it's not about it's not about the money for most people. It's about the recognition that something happened. Mm. Uh, a lot of institutions will actually have letters of apology as yeah, well. I've got one of them. And people will think that's more important than the actual money. I said time. that. You know what? When I got mine, I remember mine was the 5th of May 2017, a prolific day for me, a day I'll remember forever. And before we went into the mediation for just work out what sort of money I was going to get, I give me that and I cry and I went, fuck, these people have finally recognised mm. what they've fucking done to my life, how they fucking ruined my life. They're finally recognising that. And, you know, the first thing I thought about was my family and I thought, fuck, shall I show them or not? And when I told my sister-in-law, she goes, you should, because it allows us to make sense of it all. Yeah. It allows us to make sense of your madness and all those labels and tags that you got over the year that weren't untrue, that weren't true. It was funny because when I went to... My story was, man, they don't, it played every fucking dirty trick in the book for me not to talk to the Royal Commission and, and tell my story. Coppers coming in. I had 
part of corrective services Queensland, in particular Mirriborough Jail, give them a mention and expose them rats for the rats they are. They did everything they could to stop me from telling my story. And even though it wasn't in their fucking institutions, it was they took, they thought they were going to be the heroes of the day and get this bloke to shut up and not talk about the abuse. Yeah. And, and then they were even fishing for armed robberies that I was wanted for. They were, they were sending messages, this bloke's talking to the Royal Commission, is there any, had emails to it. The, the woman from the sex crime squad come to come and take my statement. It was all of a sudden engaging with the jail about me being wanting for armed robbery, so I couldn't even talk to her because mm. she'd become a conflict. It was crazy. And I think Julia Gillard, that wasn't, wouldn't have been her intentions for that to happen. Like when you go to Royal Commission and you tell your story and they say, do you want the police involved? And I thought, why not? I, I just want to say something to, to especially blokes that don't knock about blokes. Telling on a pedophile ain't been a dog. No. Nah. It's been a fucking hero because you are in a position to stop that fucking pedophile up going on and abusing. You can draw attention to him. And I've always said that to people. And I don't think, and this is this whole, man, I'll tell you, the Royal Commission was a really fucking bad experience for me because of that. When I started getting these emails, I, someone told me, an insider told me, they said, Russell, get these emails. It ain't good for you. Talking mm. to this Royal Commission. He said, and they never warned me. They never warned me, hang on, you could be one... You're going to draw the attention to police and just, yeah, I don't try to deter people because I think there's things in place like lawyers like yourself. Yeah. And that's what you need. At that time, I was unrepresented. So I didn't have a lawyer to defend me to turn around to the the jail and say, hey, man, this is out of order. Or Effectively dissuading a witness. It's a criminal act in itself. Yeah. And that was just crazy and what they got away with. And I went to take them on in court by way of judicial review, what they were doing, and they fucking pissed me off out the state so I was out of jurisdiction. And I had him fucking cold, man. I had him cold. I just was – you and I share – I just got a bit off track there, but you and I share this passion for justice, you know what I mean? Mm. I don't give a fuck. People say, oh, you're a cop hater, you're a screw. No, I'm not. I just hate the fucking dodgy ones. Yeah. There's no fucking blurred lines. There should be no blurred – you can't be a cop and sell drugs. Yeah. You're a drug dealer. You're not a, you're not a defender of the law. This is this whole thing that people think – it's like that old lady getting tasered, right? There were still people that defended that cop. 97 years old and she's walking slowly towards him holding a knife. I, I do a lot of police matters in South Australia, so I'm normally the go-to guy as well for police who have assaulted people. And mm. you never hear about the good cops on the news, sure. but it's always the point zero zero one percent of cops that give them a bad name. And sure. unfortunately, the thing with police officers is when one guy's or one officer's belting someone in front of him, especially if it's a sergeant and the probationary council's all around, they'll go, shit, it's career suicide if we talk against him. Or if... Yeah, 100%. And the good so that's thing... indoctrination. Exactly. And people coming forward about a pedophile, it's not being a rat it's at all. It's not being a dog at it's... all. The thing with pedophiles is they're hardly ever one and done. They're constantly the kind of individuals who will offend again. I've represented numerous people in South Australia against one teacher alone. And first instance that happened in 1978... And then I'm suing him now on behalf of another person that happened in 2002. Mm. And I'm like, offenders like this don't offend once in 77 and once in 2002. No. There's going to be a path all along. And so the people that come up and speak forward right away and say, this guy did this, you could save a lot of people. Well, look at the look at the guy in between Gold Coast and Sydney at the moment, the, the, the childcare child worker. worker yeah. They had 1,600 counts. Uh, there was 91 children identified from all the abuse material on his phone. One worker at the the childcare centre said to managers in 2021, I saw this guy kissing a child, went to the police, and the police went, oh, yeah, we don't have enough to get um, a search warrant over him. 
he continued to offend for another two or three years. Imagine if they went right away and said, let's just look at your phone or that's enough to investigate. You look at your phone. They would have found thousands of images and prevent and stopped a lot of people from being abused. People coming forward are effectively saving children's lives. And it's not saving their lives and they'll kill themselves. It's that anyone excuse me, who's endured any form of abuse. It's a life sentence. I've yeah. People have always found it weird that I've never had any abuse against me as a child. Mm. I've never been a sexual abuse survivor. I just did this work and saw how fair the unfair the imbalance of power between survivors and the system. And I just thought, you know what? If no one's going to kick down the door, I might as well do it. Yeah, yeah. And I love that about you, mate. I think when... You and I'll have a very good friendship bonded by that because we share that same passion. And just on, let's talk about your petition. Where's it at? Because there's a few promises that have been made to you that haven't been fucking fulfilled, haven't there? Yeah, none. So our position's up to about 53,000 at the moment. And the Liberals said in 2018 that they were going to look into this after getting 20,000 petition signatures and nothing happened. In And then my mum actually told me about it because mm. she worked in super and I've been doing survivor work since 2011 and I thought, oh, great, that's going to open up so many avenues for a lot of people who, it's actually, like I said before, it's heartbreaking telling someone no criminal charges, can't victim of crime, the guy that doesn't have any assets, can't do anything. I thought this would be the best thing for survivors since the redress, so since the since the Royal Commission. Mm. And they said ever since 2020, oh, we haven't done anything yet. So 2020, I started on my own to do it and finally got a meeting with uh, Stephen Jones, the assistant treasurer. And Is that the current Labor government? Yeah. Current Labor. And so it was myself, Grace, uh, Adam Grace Washburn, Tame. Grace Tame, Adam Washburn from Fakar, yeah. Madeline West yeah. and the Carly Ryan Foundation. And we sat down with them and said, look, this needs to be open up First, it has to be uh, retrospective. Second of all, it has to be all superannuation. And they said, yeah, we'll look into it. And then gave a consultation paper this year that said, oh, only out-of-character contributions for six months before. And, yeah, that's it. And I'm like, so if if someone puts in $100 a week extra above their employment contributions, that's the only thing you can touch. And it wasn't retrospective. And I said, no, this is a live issue that needs to be looked at. And the government basically backflipped from our original position of it has to be all super up for grabs. And they're... Out of character. What's out of character? A pedophile abuses and that's their character. Yeah. So out, out of character contribution would mean if if you all of a sudden just sold your house to put all your money in super. Yeah. You're just like, that wasn't done for any forensic purpose. But yeah, it's just weird how they said that, oh, we can't change super, it's too hard to change. And I said, well, that's bullshit because when COVID hit, 10 days they passed laws to enable, enable early release. And then actually a, a week after the consultation paper closed, the Labor government put in a new policy that anyone with more than $3 billion in their super now gets taxed. So I said, hang on, so what the Labor government is saying that we won't touch pedophile superannuation, a family who's worked their ass off and put money into the superannuation, we'll just tax you instead. Like the, There was a study by Bravehearts done a few years ago that it said that the annual cost to Australians of child sex offenders could be as high as $30.1 billion per year. Yeah. Yeah, even reducing half of that. Look at the amount of $15 billion could do to the rental crisis and cost of living at the moment. But yeah. you know, the government aren't touching this. And the, the sole reason, or the only argument I've heard against this change is, oh, but it's going to be too expensive to uh, meet the cost of offenders from retirement age to life. And I said, you guys realise that you're currently Fuck meeting em. the cost of 
an 18-year-old survivor victim for their entire life, 18 mm. till I think average life is 80. So what's cheaper the taxpayer, mm. 67 to 80 or 18 to 80? I say this, the sex offenders shouldn't, they should be living in the homeless fucking shelters and all of those places where the, their victims end up in fucking dead set parks and what about them? What about what about that? There's too much emphasis placed on the rights of the perpetrators. Exactly. Too much. They've got too many rights. They get convicted. And I'll tell you something now, from a jail perspective, they get all the good jails. Yeah. They get all the good jails. Jails closest to the city because they need to maintain contact with their families. They'll you know? never be put in general pop. No, never get in that. And then in jail, they're used as a fucking mechanism, they, they get all the, all the good jobs in jail because they're deemed easier to handle. Yeah. But they're fucking... E- they're all gutless. I've, I've never... You, know, you look at, say, guys that you're in jail for fights and whatnot. Yeah, you look at a pedophile, there's not one person that go, God, I'd, I'd lose in a fight with that guy. Yeah. But is it... Could it be that they're put in protective custody is because the amount of people in jail have suffered some form of abuse? Oh, or is it because that they're the lowest of the low? They're very triggering. There's a certain... There's a certain look, a stereotypical pedophile. Blokes will, there'll be a, a person that'll come in that'll resemble a pedophile mm. and pe- blokes are all over him. They want his paperwork. They want to know his charges because he's triggering a lot of people. Yeah. A person that come in, a hypothetical, looked a bit like Dennis Ferguson, people will be straight on him, mate, what are you in for? I've unearthed a few of them too and there's a hesitation in, in them and you go, hey, mate, what are you in for? And they hesitate. They go, fraud. I'm in for fraud. I'm in for fraud. And you go, you sure? And you go, can you go and get your paperwork? And next minute they're tapping a the screw on it. Oh, mate, you better get me out of here because mm-hmm. they know what's coming to them. And I've seen a few of them that have, the screws have pushed through or allowed to go through and get their justice and rightly because there's a lot of – I say this, and maybe you maybe got a higher – I say 60% of the jail population have suffered some sort of sexual abuse. You know? well, if you look at even the stats, just one in five boys before 18 and – you look at the people that turn to drugs at a young age, usually it's not usually, most of the time it's for trauma. Mm. It's not someone who's 15 goes, oh, I don't know, I'll just try I'll meth. Just try with, heroin, yeah. yeah, heroin, meth. I say this, and I've talked to the New South Wales Commissioner of Corrective Services, you go, you, my program is this, it'd be called Rewind. And so what's the underlying if you, issue with your offending behaviour and you go, a drug addiction? What's the underlying issue of your drug addiction? It'd be sexual abuse. And so that's where we start. That's where we start our rehabilitation. That's what we start working mm. on. And we're working unpicking the fucking bad deeds of these fucking evil pedophiles that have manipulated this kid and destroyed their lives and thought it was okay. Yeah. And thought, oh, I'll just hide the superannuation. There's no recourse. I'll go to court. I'll get a six-month sentence, worst-case scenario. It's, and you know what? I'll tell you, Andrew, I've sat in prisons and I, I've and you, you watch the news at 6 o'clock. Everyone's watching the news and you can hear a, a pedophile got six months or three months of, and you can hear fucking, oh, man, I've heard TVs getting smashed. Like, how yeah. triggering. Constantly, victims slash survivors are being fucking triggered by these fucking soft sentences. And, man, I love your p- passion. I love your passion and your push, and you've got a good team, good people behind you, including myself. And we're going to make him a fucking accountable, brother. Oh, you'd have to. And I'm, I'm so grateful you've come on and shared the positive message with everything we've done. But the scary thing is... Most of the matters that the offenders are jailed, you never see them on the news or TV because it's. I think it's ninety-two or ninety-three percent of mm. of survivors are actually abused by someone they know. Yeah, and so all of a sudden these monsters are granted protection right away. Like even I think Grace Tame, for instance, she couldn't actually speak out about her being 
abuse in Tasmania years ago because she would be arrested for identifying herself, yet her offender was able to walk around and talk about it. Now, if you look at, for instance, I was on an interview a while ago and they were talking about about oh, how bad is it at the moment and I actually pulled out my phone and in South Australia, you can actually look at the district court list and it says the person's name and the charge. And that day there were 42 matters in court, 12 of them were child sex abuse matters. That's 30% of the cases in court that day related to child abuse. I've got a question for you, right? The question is this, when they've got... And what's that word? When yep. there's suppression, would it be – who does that protect? Does that protect – It's set up to protect – so a person's identity is suppressed in the event that you can identify their victim by way of identifying them. Mm. Now, that's in the very rare instances where someone is still a minor. Now, quite often than not, the people coming forward are adults. So why should they they get their offenders protected? There should be something from day one to say – if you're above 18, do you consent to your offender being identified? Oh, I'd love yes, it. I do. Yeah. It, it shouldn't be up for the offenders being protected because you think, say, Peter Leader, for instance, he was a magistrate. He knew everyone knew who he was. And then after, after he was found guilty, all these other people started to come out and said, he abused us. Yeah. And he said, I can't get a fair trial in South Australia because everyone knows who I am. Mm. You think, all right, we'll do it judge alone then. Yeah. But, uh, was that a judge alone trial? No, they got a permanent stay because they said he didn't have. He wouldn't be able to get a fair trial, which is ridiculous. But looking into it now, a lot of the people that want the suppression orders, they say, no, this guy's a monster. He Mm. should run the gauntlet. If he's going to court, he should get the cameras following him. He should... um, They don't put put media suppression orders on bikies. No. The weird thing with bikies is that you you could have two bikies taking their kids to a playground, wearing colours, all of a sudden they see each other, wave... Boom, there's arrest, refuse bail. Mm. Yet there could be 10 pedophiles sitting in the park and that's, oh, we can't do anything. They're not offending. Bikies can't go to a registered licensed premises, but a pedophile can go to a Wiggles concert. Exactly. And the weirdest thing is you think about that is if a lot of these pedophiles who have these millions of images on their computers, they have images of themselves abusing children. A lot of the time they'll sell it on the dark web for Bitcoin and whatnot. Mm. But when a, fen- when a pedophile gets arrested, you never see a tow truck coming up and taking off their assets. If you're a guy that's making next to no money, you're living in a mansion, selling your money or selling images to offenders, the cops don't take them. But the second a, a bike is arrested for having two joints in his car, all of a sudden news crews out of their house and watching their Ferraris getting taken off, their jet skis. and Yeah. we got in here in New South Wales, we've got a crimes commission. And they drag them in and they tell them what assets they got and they ask them to justify it. You know what I mean? You've got a really valid point. So you've got these pedophiles selling all these images online and then they're getting dragged before the mm. Crime Commission. But there's also coercive powers that the Crime Commission have. They've got the coercive powers say if they're investigating a crime, they can turn around and say, we know you know this. Mm. And if you don't tell us what you do know, you're in contempt and it's a jail sentence. Yeah, but then what's a jail sentence to these guys? Oh, I'll be out in a week. But, if, but if they went on a coercive control one, it'd be like the mandatory six months at a time. Yeah. Every time they didn't tell, it's another six months, another... But one thing they should be looking at is you look at anyone who's suspected of, say, a drug-related crime. Someone's selling a kilo of marijuana. They'll go through, they'll tell their house up, go through their bank statements. Oh, you've got $500 cash in here. What is this for? Well, all of a sudden, you've got some pedophiles who make a modest income, yet they have $50,000 sitting around in Bitcoin. Mm. There's never any questions asked, how'd you get that? Yeah. yeah. How'd you get that? Oh, how did you have all these millions of images? And you know, it's just, it's, it's insane that they're still getting away. And I've 
I thought this change when I started doing years ago, I thought, oh, six months later, this will be passed. And no, I never intended to be the face of this. I thought it'll be done right away. But, You'd think so, wouldn't you? But yeah, I've I've been jumping up and down for three and a half years now over this law change. It's just such a no-brainer. Let's everyone get behind Andrew. All my listeners here, all our listeners and people who follow us on, on social media, get behind and get into this petition. And once this podcast goes down, we're going to put a link to it so everyone can jump on board. Let's let's light the fire on this. Let's light the fire on it. Let's say that I'm a Labor man and I wanted Albanese because I think, because Labor's always, for me, I, the LNP government, Tony Abbott and his fucking, and Scott Morrison, all that crew opposed the Royal Commission in the Royal yeah. Commi- into institutional responses to child sexual abuse. They attended George Pell's funeral. Abbott. They uh, wrote Howard, in the letters of character reference as well. That's another thing that we'll talk about. George Pell, who come undone for that Royal Commission, who brought attention, go, he gave evidence in the case of Gerard Ridsdale. And now this is where he should have been in contempt. And he gave he, he went to court and he said, it's out of character for George Gerard Risdale to be doing this abuse on these kids, although he'd moved him from parish to parish. Which is often the case. So he perjured himself. I, I, and you know what? The judicial, the DP knew that and they didn't go after him. for they done that. People say George Pell got off on the day. He was done so many favours and there was so much political influence in that mm. decision it's disgusting. And there was even an investigation into his past history and it found out that he actually covered up some instances of abuse. Yeah, yeah. So you think, hang on, how was... The, the Melbourne response was... A, he was the architect of the Melbourne mm, response. Which is he, the blueprint. <laughs> the blueprint, how to move pre- pedophile priests around, how to pay off victims slash that, and how to cover it up, how to cover it up. And it's... Man, have you ever seen... There's a detective from down that way, Suffolk Ryan. He wrote a book. It's really... I'll, I'll just be into it. It's a really good rule. And he took victims to George Pell and George Pell was going, oh, I'll look into what I'll look in. He was brushing off. He knew about so much. That bloke, I went to St. Mary's Cathedral one evening and, man, it just sickening. The amount of people to do walking into that funeral and there was fucking a lot of them. And they treat these priests like God. They just think, oh, these guys wouldn't hurt a fly. And then that's one of the hard things. They put these priests on a pedestal. A lot of the time they actually believe them over their own children. Yeah, but that's this. The petition's going great guns because the amount of people that that know that this is occurring, like it's. I'm very strategic in when I do interviews because I don't want to go into great detail about cases I've done. Yeah. Or I don't want to talk about yeah, yeah, sure. the horrible things. It's not crime documentaries and people think, oh, yeah, blood splatter photos and all that. I don't want to talk about the horrible things that I've seen because it triggers a lot of people. But sure. the fact that a lot of people are supporting the... But that gives you drive, surely. When you see the damage these people do, like I'm on, I'm on the front line with you. When, I, when I'm interviewing someone, when I, man, I just makes me angry and it makes my oh, blood just, boil. Especially like young girls, they need reconstructive surgery and things mm. like that you don't go into detail with. But look, you look at the petition, it started going great guns. Then Adam from Fighters Against Childhood Abuse Australia put the car behind it and that that promoted it. And then there's, have you heard of the group Blokes Advice? No. It's on Facebook. It has about 250,000 no. members where they'll put up things like, you know, I'm struggling today, guys. And mm. everyone goes, oh, I'll come buy your beer. Or they put up like real guys problems. Yeah. I put up the post on that and the admins let it and it skyrocketed. And these are real blokey blokes going, mm. God, this happened to my brother. This happened to my cousin. Mm. And a lot of people from that group actually came out and started reporting. And Beautiful. Yeah, and little things like that where you think it's a real blokey bloke thing. I said, yeah. no, 10 years ago, no one spoke about men's mental health. Yeah. 10 years ago, no one spoke about suicides or 
And all of a sudden, it's not a taboo subject now. Mm. And people, I've had interviews cancelled the morning of where they go, oh, actually, this is a bit taboo. And I said, guys, I'm not talking in detail about abuse. I'm saying if you're a mother, father, grandparent, this is something you need to look at. If your 10-year-old all of a sudden goes, they love going to Uncle Jack's house. He was the best in the world. And all of a sudden, one day, I don't want to go to Uncle Jack's. Why? Just don't want to go. I don't want to talk about it. Don't want to go. Personality changes, starts having trauma. Mm. It's not, oh, teenage angst. It's, oh, maybe something's happening here. or yeah. And it's a way to actually look at it. And the fact that Blokes Advice on Facebook is doing a lot more than the federal government at the moment in posting it. Is, yeah. is Blokes Advice the ones, the AFL footballers? Barry, is Barry Hall involved in it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. But it's, I'd like to, I'll, I'll hook up with them for sure. But yeah, it's like a lot of people on that. And it's just a Facebook group that guys are coming forward. And mm. like a lot of, just a lot of people contacting me. This happened to my mm. sister, and how do I get her to come forward and report? I said, "You can't. Mm. You have. This is not something you need to force." Mm. And they said, "Oh, I'd love her to come to see you." I said, "Look, I'm not using this to to further my career. I started doing this. It was the right change, and it's the right thing to do." And people have come to me and, "Oh, I'd love to represent you." And I said, "Look, I, I go all over Australia, but if you've got a lawyer that you already use them, I have no ego about this. I just want people to get the justice they deserve. And if it means that I can put more pedophiles in their place." So be it. I just want the viewers to understand, the listeners to understand, you know, Andrew's not one of these guys that's driving, a lawyer's driving around a Lamborghini wearing a money suit. It's not about money for him. It's about passion. This guy, we share, like he's got the passion, man, and, and that's why, man, I, I, I'm right behind him and the team in everything he does. He's not one of these Armani wearing fucking fucking Dom Perignon drinking. He's a beer drinker. I live in Under Armour and Dallas Cowboys clothes on weekends, and that's it. Just bring it, just time permitting, I just want us to draw it to an end, but I want everyone, how do people get in contact with you and how do people get behind the petition? So I'm just Andrew Carpenter Solicitor on, on Instagram, Instagram and Facebook. Give him a follow. And I'll share the share the petition. Webster's um, Lawyers, who I work for, they always put up stuff about the thing as well. But honestly, it's just talk to your mates. If your friends have know someone of it, just talk to them, just say there's always help, there's always avenues there, but share the petition and, yeah, just really try to make sure that uh, – join our fight to make sure Australia becomes the most dangerous place to uh, offend against a child. And get behind Adam Wishbourne and Facker. Get behind them, guys. Give them a follow. Give me a follow, Russell underscore Mansa, because we want to make it. We want to make it fucking – man, we want to get rid of them. We want them to be fucking extinct. Adam Washbone from Fakal, it's a crime that his organisation not federally funded. I had someone years ago come forward and report abuse, and this guy abused, I think, it was either 10 or 20 children at a childcare, and he put up a post saying this guy's being charged. She saw the post. She then went to police, and she was there was only two that got convictions, and she was one of them. And so his page puts up – offenders who are being charged and the amount of people that have come forward to report mm. after seeing that. And Adam is a martial arts teacher. He teaches good uh, kids that have had trauma, teach them martial arts, learn how to, this is how you defend yourself. You know, yeah. And, and it's important. And he's introduced things like he's got like support dogs come to court and even mm. little things like when children are, are giving evidence, the judge actually takes off his robe and sits next to him so they don't see this big scary man on a pedestal mm. or girl on a pedestal, sits next to him and actually treats him like a child mm. and just little things like that to be trauma-informed and know how to help. Adam brought that all about, didn't he? Yeah, he started off of his own dime. Like I, I've been doing a lot of this off my own dime, Grace mm. as well. Like mm. We're doing things that aren't our job. It's not your job to change laws, but... 
it's the government's, but mm. we have to have a loud voice to enable us to get these law changes to make sure it happens because... That's frustrating, though, when you think, fuck, this could be so much broader with government funding and stuff like that. I, I get it, man. I, I'm up at 10 o'clock at night sometimes talking to people on Facebook, FaceTime or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't care. I love that. It's a passion. But when you're travelling and stuff like that, when you're travelling to help people and that, and you think I'm doing... I, I, I do a lot of corrective services job in my work. I think, fuck, this is we, what they... I don't get... It's something as simple. I had a politician once saying, oh, this could be lots of different legislation. We have to amend this. I said, literally, the first instance in the Bankruptcy Act, it's six words. It can be superannuation is a protective asset, six words, except for child sexual abuse matters. Yeah, simple. Simple as that. Changes the game. But it's, I just don't know why this change, it's going to... Oh, man, they can make any law retrospective. Exactly. But you think this superannuation loophole, if it's closed, it will deter people, it'll compensate survivors, and it'll finally punish offenders from doing this, and it's going to save the taxpayer money. It'll, uh, hopefully it wrecks their lives like it did the children that they abused. Exactly. If the taxpayer is paying $30 billion a year on child sex abuse matters... Why isn't this cost... I, I had someone from the Department of Home Affairs ask for an interview with me and they wanted to set up a $90 million fund for children in Southeast Asia because during COVID, the sickos that couldn't travel would live stream or pay people to live stream child sex abuse. Mm. And they said, oh, yeah, we want to set up a $90 million fund to try and combat this. And I said, all right, two questions. One, how can you identify a four-year-old in a Southeast Asian community? Mm. Oh. Second, who's paying for it? Oh, the taxpayer. Why? Mm. Why is the taxpayer paying to compensate children who abuse? And pedophiles should be paying. Exactly. Let's go after them. Let's go after, let's get this legislation changed. Let's get a few other legislations changed. Let's get it so they're char when they get charged with all the Im images, it's accessory after the fact. Exactly. Let's get it when they go and pell, when they go and fucking lie and give, and let, that's the other thing, you know, give them references for pedophiles. Let's just touch on that briefly. Oh, Harrison James and Jared Grice, two amazing guys that we're actually going to have a beer with tonight. Yeah. They started a, a change a while ago called Your Reference Ain't Relevant. Now, with that, they're simply saying that people who commit child sex abuse matters shouldn't have good character references saying, oh, he's a great bloke, it's out of character. No, if your friend's in a punch-up and snaps and punches someone, that's out of character. But a level of grooming someone for months and then abusing someone... Right. George Pell had character references from Tony Abbott and John Howard. Joffa, the Collingwood Cheer Squad leader, he actually used references from... I think it was a job interview that he had before where a big company said, oh, yeah, this guy's great. Mm. Yeah, there is no redeeming quality. If you're a child sex abuser, mm. you're not a, a person of good character. You're just yeah. not. Let's talk about a few other people in our team. Gary Jubelin, Madeline West, big people in our team, big supporters of our team. I encourage everyone to get behind and support all of those people as well and what they're doing and their voice because we're – Man, we want this. We want all of our voices are going to be loud and proud, and yeah. we're going to fucking we're going to we're going to stop these rats in their tracks. We're trying, quite frankly, we're trying to be the voice of the voiceless. Like mm. all the people that have to suffer in silence. I've had so many people reach out. Thank you for what you're doing. I just don't have it in me to come forward yet. And I said, mm. that's fine. Time. I had one today. I just said, you know what? She goes, oh, and she was breaking down crying. I said, man, it's okay. I'm not going nowhere. I'm here. Yeah. You got my number. Let's go again anytime you want. If you feel. Better talking to a female. She goes, no, I want to talk. I said, okay, well, let's just do it when you're ready. Just give me a... I said, it's fucking 2 o'clock in the morning. Can you just let me wake up first and let's yeah. go? Because often that's the case. Andrew Carpenter, the People's Champion, thanks for being on the Stick Up podcast. Thanks for having me.